Good morning. Take your Bibles, please, and open them up to John chapter number five. Yesterday was um, an interesting day weather-wise for us in Concord. I think it was the same way for many of you around parts of Charlotte. Torrential, like sky was falling rain. Thought the backyard was going to flood again and um, the creek was going to rise in our backyard. It was really, Bruno, our dog, just kind of hangs back and looks, just kind of watches everything. He's an outside dog. And then within a matter of a couple of hours, everything was beautiful and glorious. And I'm not trying to make some big lesson about life being that way. I'm just trying to say I was thankful because I know that some of you were engaged in the Changed Choices uh, Walk for Life, Journey to Freedom that was happening And that turned out to be a wonderful experience and a success for that ministry. So thank you for those of you that were able to participate in that. As we give our attention to John's uh, gospel this morning, John chapter number 5, we've been journeying through this. If you're joining us for the first time this morning, welcome. I hope that you'll let me know you're here. Just use that envelope and give me some contact information. Drop it in the box on your way out. In the back, that'd be, that'd be wonderful. I won't harass you. I just want to figure out how to pray for you and how maybe to connect. But if you're joining us, we're arriving in chapter 5, and there's a shift that happens to the tone of what's going on. Chapter 1, great introduction, foundation being laid. Um, and then chapters 2 through 4, John shows us that people are interested in Jesus And there's also some interest in the miracles of Jesus. I think that's probably safe to say today there's still some interest in Jesus because of some of the claims that he made. I think we're all fascinated and interested in the miracles of Jesus. I believe people want parts of Jesus that they like um, and they want to reject the parts of Jesus that they don't like. That's just not how any of this works. And so we come to chapter 5, and the tone changes because curiosity now becomes opposition, and interest begins to, to convert into persecution. Uh, we see things begin to ramp up. That's all by the sovereign hand of God. God has ordained these things, but they're still playing out with moral agents acting, they believe, uh, in the way that they want to, like, I'm going to teach Jesus a lesson not realizing he's fully God, and uh, has mapped this thing out all the way to the cross, all the way to the empty tomb, all the way to the throne, all the way for me and you to be able to have a living relationship with him. Jesus, this morning, will heal a man who was trusting in a false hope. He will heal him completely, and he will heal him for all to see, and Jesus will be persecuted because he did it on the wrong day. Ah. So if he would have just got his calendar right, none of this would have happened. No, you know better. This persecution, though, provides a way for Jesus to show his authority over all mankind. He will confront rebellion head on. Now, because we know some things, this morning, if you're taking notes, I've I've kind of, there's two major movements in the text this morning. There's Jesus with the healing, and then there's, of course, this opposition from the Pharisees. But I've just chosen the great physician as the title, you, you can probably do something more clever than that. Clever is not my goal. My goal is to give you something that matches the text. And so we're going to look at the persecution, really, of the great physician this morning. But 
we know some things. We expect the persecution that's coming. We expect the New Testament leaders to object to Jesus because we have read it, heard it before. But I think too many times we identify with the victors in the story and forget that our natural bent is to reject authority. We are anti-authority at our core, aren't we? The story of humanity, yes, there's some beauty in it, but it is the story of a rebellious people against the holy God. God created humanity and gave us a unique place in his good world that he created. He commissioned us to rule over his good world, to care for it, to be responsible for it, to live lives that honored and obeyed him and expressed generosity to him for who he is and all he had done. And what did we do? The first chance we had, we rejected him. Adam and Eve were the prototype of all the rest of us because we would have all done the same thing. You say, oh, if only my circumstances were better. Adam and Eve had it made in the shade, literally made in the shade. Garden of Eden. And still, first opportunity they had, broke God's law, rebelled against the holy God. We reject him by deciding to live our own way. We reject him most of the time by simply ignoring him and, and, and keeping him at a distance. We just want to get on with living our own lives. We, we follow our own desires, our own priorities, and, and live by the values that we decide are important to us, whether they're religious or secular or some kind of hybrid. The Bible calls that way of living sin, rebellion, lawbreakers. And, and we all do it, whether we uh, identify as this or as that. Now, that should be our lives before Christ and not mark us, those of us who are in the church, walking with the Lord. As much as we want to identify with the heroes in the story, we might do better to try to understand who Jesus is in the text and, and what he's telling us about all of humanity and what we can learn to be effective in our Christian walk. I want to give you two headers to cover the movements this morning. The first is this. Let's talk about the healing that takes place. I'm entitling this Healed to be Holy. Healed to be holy. There's a little hint in uh, later on the passage. So you've got the healing text there in verses 1 through 9. And in verse 14, Jesus encounters him in the temple. And you kind of see the, you get the, the reason why he healed this man the way he healed this man. What's going on here in the text that Jeremy read to us? Well, if you look, we find ourselves at the pool of Bethesda. There's a feast of the Jews going on. And Jesus goes up to Jerusalem and in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. This is um, in the jurisdiction of Jerusalem, of course. And historians have concluded that there was a subterranean spring running underneath this pool, which was common in the region. And that would cause a bubbling up of the water from time to time. Um, historians conclude that uh, it's very likely that somebody who had a disease would have been in this spring at the time when the water moved and that they concluded that something happened. And, and maybe something did, maybe something different, but didn't. But in that moment, they identified the bubbling of the water with their supposed healing. And news of the miracle water spreads quickly all throughout the city and the surrounding countryside. The Hebrew people, as a people, are so preoccupied with angelology 
They're always looking for some mystic answer to something and believing that angels are doing more than they're, they're doing. But the Hebrews are fascinated with this. And so, shockingly, the story gets some legs, grows, and now there's this legend that there's an angel that comes out and stirs up this water. And if you get in at the right time, at the right moment, you can be healed. Can't you see that running on TBN like this week? We can all buy, it. some of you don't know that. There are three in the room that know what I'm talking about. For just $15.95, we'll get you a front row seat to the waters that the angel will trouble, right? And while we laugh at that, scores of humanity who have exhausted all hope and reject the Bible will give, thinking maybe it's one more shot. So, if some of you have a version other than the English Standard Version or the NIV or the NESB or the CSB, you may have verse 4 in your text, but I don't know if you noticed. Look in your Bible. I'm not going to get a, you know, too much hermeneutic here, but this is fun, right? If you look in your Bible, you see chapter 5, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, and then what's the next verse that you see enumerated in your Bible? Verse 5. Unless you have... Uh, a King James Version. I want to put the King James on the screen for you so you can see where this comes from. The King James Bible renders verses the rest of 3 and 4, right? So there are these invalids by the, by the lake, by the, uh, this pool, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And then it continues on and says, They were waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Now, if you read that like that, you're like, well, that's the Bible. God said it. It's settled. I believe it. Right? Whatever you, little bumper sticker you want to put on there. Like, get me to the water if I'm sick. Right? Why would we go in, why would we need a hospital? Let's just get a line to the water. Let me give you a little uh, kind of insight here on the authority of God's word. The beauty of this passage, even though it's omitted in the text that we have now, it gives us insight into what the people of the day believed. But this passage is not in the oldest and best manuscripts. Now, when the King James translation was assembled, it was not a pure translation. It was a hybrid of five or six cherry-picked one that the king liked to stick it to the authorities and the rulers that he wanted to stick it to. And God has used that translation to reach the world a hundred times over with the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not here translation bashing. Don't you hear me say that. What I'm here saying is that there are better renderings of the text now. This was a note that appeared in the margins and some copyists were nervous that they were omitting something that should have been there. And so they added it into what we have as the King James translation of the Bible. They're recording what the people believed at the time. Now, if you study the history, it makes total sense. If you read it at face value, it can be a bit confusing. And that's why it's a footnote in your Bible today and not in the text itself. Okay, moving on. Take my little teacher hat off. Get back into preaching. Let's go back to the scene now. These people, though, are laying there. Invalids. I want you to imagine this special miracle water news is spread throughout the city and the countryside and it draws a crowd. It draws the hurting and the hopeless and the helpless. The scene is horrible. You've not seen anything like this on the news and you've not seen anything like this likely 
in your lives. Few exceptions in the room, probably, that have dispatched to tragic situations. There are the sick, the fevered, the blind, the lame, the withered, all a pitiful crowd of broken humanity. Men, old and young, women at all ages and stages of life, no doubt children there as well, clinging on to their last hope near this pool of Bethesda built on a false claim. Somebody has built canopies over the area to to shield these frail bodies from the sun throughout the day. They were likely motivated by compassion, we don't know, but it was an act of mercy that the colonnades were built. The only hope that they have, watch this, is that as soon as the waters were stirred, the man tells us this later, right? Is that they could get ahead of somebody weaker than them. Now, does that sound like the way God works? Does that sound like the way God, like you think, oh, they're taking verses out of the Bible, right? Give me a break. Does that sound like how God works? The strongest get the help first? That sounds exactly opposite of the way God works. But this is their hope. Like they're clinging to the hope that somebody in worse shape than them will be slower than them so they can get to the water first. This is totally depressing. What a downer on a beautiful Sunday morning. It's totally depressing except for one thing. Jesus is there. The glory of God, the fullness of the Godhead himself in whom he was pleased to dwell has stepped onto the scene. Jesus is there by record alone. His disciples are not with him, so he could move maybe a little more freely through this place. He's moving around, not drawing attention, and he's drawn to this one. Jesus is at this dark, depressing spot. Let me just give you a few little lessons here as we move through the text. That's going to be the best way for me to handle this lengthy passage this morning, is to try to give you some application as we move along. Here's a lesson. You will not find yourself in a helpless or hopeless place that the Son of God can't get to. I know your situation may seem dark in this moment and you may not have an answer. You can't figure out what's going on, but Jesus is there. And if you will look on him, the radiance of his glory will shine a light on the dark place. When life is at its worst, the glory of Christ is at its best and brightest. Listen, as the world gets darker, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ ought to shine brighter. We're there. We are agents and ambassadors of Jesus in this dark. We don't stick our head in the sand and bemoan everything going wrong with the world. We show up with the joy of the Lord as our strength and call men and women and boys and girls to trust this saving God. What a God. Jesus is there. Here's another lesson right from the text here. Isn't it just like humanity's condition? Do you see the bigger picture here? There's a parallel here to those of us while we were in our sin. People thinking all they've got to do is just be a little bit better and a little bit stronger than the next guy and God will somehow look on that with favor. That, That everything will work out okay for them in the end. Jesus addresses this to a church Like you don't want to be this church in Revelation that Jesus addresses. And he says, look, you think you're rich and prosperous and and, and that you don't need anything, but you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. This is not a a man, self-made man, self-made woman kind of way of life. No, that's not the way of the cross. That's not the way of Christ. 
Jesus approaches this pitiful man of 38 years. Jesus is alone. He could move about in this way. He goes right to this man. And I'm going to say something that's difficult for us to probably process at times. But he walks past all the others. He does. He does. Now there's a lesson here, a big doctrinal. It's a big boy. It's kind of a mature Christian lesson here. But if it is God's perfect will when the Son of God is present to heal all people at all times, why did he leave the rest unhealed in the moment? He goes right to this man, past all the others. Jesus sees him, and look at verse 6 with me. He asks him, do you want to be healed? Last night I asked this. I didn't let the kids read ahead, but in our family time of worship, I said, how do you think the man answered? And they're like, of course. Yes, I want to be healed. Like, yes. Have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Wouldn't that be amazing? No, what we've got is this crotchety old guy who's going to complain. The Son of God standing in front of him and saying, Hey, uh, do you want to be healed? And this man's response is telling on every level. What does he say? Do you want to be healed? He goes, I don't have anybody to help me. My kids dropped me off here years ago and they don't even call me. Anymore. No, I don't know what he's saying, but... But like, I don't have anybody to help me. Nobody will get me to the thing that I see in front of me. If I could just have somebody to help me. I know he doesn't realize who's in front of him. But imagine him responding that way to anybody. This is not a reporter. Do you want to be healed? All I know is this. This is all I've known. Here's my problem. And one of my sons said to me last night, can you blame him? He's been there 38 years. Now, some of you have had an, an ailment or something going on for a long time. Some of you dealt with something, but for 38 years, an invalid, hoping that he could roll past somebody to get to a stirring water. Man. You know, for, for those who are lost and undone, Jesus asked the same question. Do you want to be healed? And, and many respond, eh. Many don't respond in a way that... that that shows that God is at work in their life and putting, they want to put their faith and trust in Him. He, he asked this through the proclamation of the good news of the gospel. He, he asked those who are lost and rebellious and wonders. That's who He came to seek and to save. We know that. Most people try to take matters into their own hand. They think, if I can just do better, I'll make it. They, they have a solution. They want to keep trying to work. Even though they're failing, we love doing things our own way. That's lost people. That's, that's worth mentioning here. But what about those of us who are in Christ. What about us? I believe as we get to know ourselves more and more in the mirror of God's word, opens up to us, we're going to find more and more opportunities for God to bring healing to some places in our own lives. You, you may have some bitterness that the Lord wants to ask you this question. Would, would you like to be totally healed of that? And some of us, we wouldn't say it this way, but we've been hanging on to it for so long, we don't know how to turn loose of it. We've allowed it to define who we are. Bitterness. Unresolved conflicts. Do you want to be healed from that? Things that lie hidden within us that nobody knows about. Jesus has come this morning and saying, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made whole? You've gotten comfortable with this. You, you may have cauterized these things 
because they were so long ago, you may have put layers over them. You may be reeling in the pew right now or huddled around a screen or listening in the car right now. These hard things are real things. They do affect our lives and they're affecting our relationships. They're affecting our health. They're affecting our worship and they're stunting our spiritual growth. And the king of glory comes in and we know we should be joyful. We know we should be doing the right thing. Some of you are reading your Bible every day. You are praying and you're even fasting and spending time in fellowship with the believers. All of these things are going on, but you have little power. You have a lack of inner peace. You just don't feel right. You don't sense God's power. You're not experiencing His grace. You feel like in the way that He said you could. I, I want to encourage you, brother, sister in Christ, I believe our sanctification is connected to our answer to Jesus' question, do you really want to be healed? Do we respond complaining more about our circumstances or do we say, yes, Lord? Yes, Lord. If we'll take our eyes off of what, what is crippling us, if we take our eyes off of our own schemes and devices and simply say, yes, Lord, and do what he commands, I believe if you, you and I would take the time to ask God to work within us, he will reveal to us the things that he wants to wash away. He wants to untie those knots that are binding us up. He alone can do it. He'll open our eyes to our stinking thinking that is clouding our judgment and cause us to take up our beds and walk for His glory and honor. Christ longs to work in that way in us. Look at verses 8 and 9. He comes back to the man. Jesus says to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. All right, where's the man's faith? It's not there. It's not an omitted verse. I checked. I went back and looked since we're taking verses out. I went back and looked to make sure like we weren't missing another verse there. It's not. He says, do you want to be healed? The guy complains about everything. And Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. That's the kind of parenting I'd love to be. That's not how I roll. Right? I'm like, I'm sorry. Are you complaining? Like, and I do this. And then like the Holy Spirit's happy over there. I'm like, yeah, they're just mirroring what? Anyway. I wonder where they got that from. Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. He is the great physician. I want to remind you that this morning. Jesus is the great physician. All sickness, all sickness bows to King Jesus. All sickness does. We believe that God is a miracle working God. We believe that God is a, a healing God. No, we, don't, we don't necessarily toe the line with the fact that there will be healers moving in our midst today. But we, we believe that God can do whatever God wants to do. And, and He does it in a way that's consistent with His Word. He doesn't step outside of His Word. And you see a natural progression of things. But I'm telling you something. I don't ever want you to doubt for any moment that Jesus is the great physician. Everything bows to who he is. I'm indebted to Matt Carter and some notes he had in, in an expository uh, notebook that he gave in this and just a few headers that I borrowed and two that I fixed for my own words there. But a couple things here. It wasn't a fake healing. I'm afraid we see some of that play out today. Some fake healings play out in front of us for show, for aggrandizement. We know this to be the case. Like I'm not saying they all are, but a lot of what's sensationalized 
it tends to be a lack of documentation from anybody with any sense to, to validate so much of what we accept uh, in the sensational world. But this wasn't fake. 38 years attested of. You, you, don't, you don't fake something for 38 years. It was attested. He was in the place where the invalids were and he was accepted into that community. It wasn't for show. In fact, if it would have been fake, that it had to set it up six years before Jesus was born, if you do the math, so it's kind of weird, like all this is just, no, this, this is not a fake healing, and this was not a faith healing. There was no faith on the part of the man. Jesus asked, do you want to be whole? I mean, we'd love to hear him say, oh, son of God, yes, I receive you as the Messiah. None of that was there. It was like, I don't like anything. Right? Nobody will help me. And Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. The account does not support uh, those claims that maybe some well-intending friends have said in your life. If you just have enough faith, God could dot, dot, dot. God doesn't need your faith to do anything. That's for your sanctification and your spiritual growth. God, God doesn't need your permission to do what brings Him glory and honor. This account does not support that. This man gives no example of faith. He responds to Jesus with a complaint when Jesus asks if he wants to be healed and, and God heals him. Later in verse 14, I think we see why. Before we hit that next little point, take your Bibles and just look at verse 14. Jesus finds him in the temple, the Bible says, and says to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now Jesus later meets him and Tells him not to sin anymore. We say a few things about this that we learn right from the text. We know from the meta narrative of Scripture, in, especially even in the New Testament, that most sickness and disease are not necessarily the result of personal sin. We live in a broken world. There's bacteria. If you lick a doorknob, you're going to catch a cold. Right? You can plead the blood all you want, but if you act a fool, you're going to get sick. Right? That's the way this world works. It's just the world we live in. It is broken. It is not perfect. Heaven is. There is no heaven on earth. That'll be when King Jesus refines the place with fire and then sets up his new kingdom. Okay, so sickness and disease are not necessarily the result of personal sin, but there are cases where they're connected. Here's one of them. Jesus would not have said this if there was no connection. So I don't know what it is. We don't get the scoop. I'm not going to try to guess what it is, but there's a connection here. Listen to me. This is not a far-fetched. The woman who destroys her liver through frequent drinking, her body pays the price for her sinful choices. She may be saved, sanctified, and full of the Holy Spirit, but her body can be ravaged with disease as a result of her sin, right? Here's the man that... Uh, contracts disease through immoral living. Sin can have devastating physical consequences. This is not a fake healing. This is not a faith healing. It is a, watch this, I love this, free and full healing, though. It, it's unique. This is not the way every healing happened that Jesus did. There's not a template that you can just lay on every healing that happened in the New Testament. You can't. They didn't all go like this. Faith was involved in some. Remember some he touched and they saw one way and then he's trying to teach everybody else a lesson and then there was a gradual healing that seemed to take place in front of them. I mean, here's what we know. Here's the consistent thing. Jesus is the great physician. And all sickness bows to his authority. He is the great physician. I want to tell you that all authority in heaven and earth belongs to Jesus, not you. 
but it belongs to Jesus. And, and it's okay, and it is right for you and for me to pray for people to be healed. Scripture and experience shows that this is right to do. But Scripture and experience teaches us it is not always Jesus' will to heal people in that moment. I have found, the longer I've been saved, that God does deep and abiding work through suffering in a way that it does not happen when you're on the mountaintop singing the Hallelujah Chorus. When we pray, though, not knowing fully what God is at work or where they're in the process, I want you to pray with faith. I want you to pray and know that God is the great physician. And I want you to pray in a way that God is glorified. But here's the deal. When we pray, it reminds us that nothing, nothing matches God's power. God alone is all powerful. He is Lord over sickness because he is the great physician. If it is his will and his time, he will bring free and full healing. Let me revisit one thing in the text with this healing. The second heading will not take as long, I promise. But um, there's just so much beauty here and deep stuff here for the believer. He says to that man, if you go back where I said, stop sinning in verse 14. See to it, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may come upon you. Um, his aim in healing this man's body is the healing of this man's soul. It's clear. John Piper summarizes it this way, and I, I like the take. He says, I've given you a gift. It's free. It, it came first before the command. You didn't earn this. You weren't good enough for it. I chose you freely, and I healed you. Now live in this power. Let the gift of healing, the gift of my free grace, be a means to your holiness. Don't embrace sin as your way of life. If you do, you will perish. What's the worst thing that Jesus is mentioning here? He said, see to it that nothing worse may happen to you. Can I ask you a question? What's worse than 38 years of lying as an invalid? I don't think any sickness. Or 39 years. I mean, I don't, I don't see that. It's, he's talking about judgment here. He's talking about this man's soul. Don't embrace sin. Jesus acts in this man's life so that this man will follow him in holiness. Christ is the life giver. He heals in more, than, more ways than one. I want to tell you something. Jesus is more than a healer. He's more than a healer. Surely you and I have been touched by God as well, brother and sister in Christ. But we have been touched for this purpose, to live a life of holiness. That points to a living God. That's why God is at work in your life. Not so you can uh, say you've accomplished something or that you have arrived or for your creature comfort. He is moving in your life, sending good things and people your way so that you might shine bright for Him. And people look through you and see Him, whether you are suffering or well. Christ will shine in and through you. Well, let's look at how this thing winds up quickly. It takes that turn I told you about. Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. He's the Messiah. He's Lord. He's Lord of the Sabbath, but the Jews didn't get the memo. And so they're responding in kind. They found out that this man had been healed on the wrong day at the wrong place by the wrong man. And it just did not check any of their boxes, and they were upset about it. And so I want to give you the second header this morning. 
True ministry glorifies God. True ministry glorifies God. And you say, what does that have to do with Pharisees? Well, the rest of the sentence, and it's too much for one screen, but the rest of it says this, it always eclipses man-made mechanics. True ministry will always eclipse man-made mechanics. I don't mean it runs wild, or it's like a chicken with its head cut off running around, you know, like that. What I'm saying is, God, God loves order. The Bible is clearly with that. But, but God's ways are higher than our ways. And sometimes we lay things and build structures God didn't build. And God doesn't mind. It doesn't bother him at all to blow through all of that to do what he wants to do. Okay? And here we see this example. In verse 16, look at the text. It says, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. This was why. The Jews were blinded by the administrative preferences that they had written into the law. They missed the miracle because they were hung up on their hang-ups. <laughs> Listen, when Jesus did this, there was no doctrinal issue. There was no theological issue here. There's no crime committed here. This was the Messiah doing ministry the way the Messiah was going to do ministry in accordance with his word. But he was out of step with the religious leaders' preferences of the day. Guess who that didn't bother? Jesus. Guess who it did bother? Everybody else. That's just who it did, right? God healed this man, but I want to tell you something. I think we've got a question here. Why did he single out this man? Why did he walk past all the others? Well, if you go back and read the narrative, this guy runs straight to other Jewish people and starts saying what had happened. Like, who did this? I don't know. I don't know. Then Jesus finds him in the temple, and as soon as Jesus says who it is, the guy goes right back to those Jewish people and says, it was Jesus. I found out his name. It was Jesus. I don't know who it is, but it was Jesus. Go find him. He's over there, right? What a great faith-filled man, right? I'm telling you. But this guy, Jesus, I believe, the scripture points us to this reality. Could it be that God healed this man for a greater purpose so that Christ could stand unapologetically and show that he is Lord and that he is one with the Father. Jesus answered them with this colossal statement in verse 17. He says, my Father is working until now, and I am working. He says, God is not resting today. He rested on the seventh day from the work of creation, but God is still active and at work, the continuous work of God. He is sustaining the universe. He is giving life. He visits judgments. He moves in the way that brings him glory and honor. It's not wrong for the Son to work and do works of grace and mercy on the Sabbath. Jesus didn't say your Father. Jesus didn't say our Father. He said my Father. And for your liberal TikTok friends that keep saying that Jesus never claimed to be God, newsflash, here we go. Because everybody there that heard him knew that's exactly what he was saying here. And when he said it, look at verse 18. Here's your text. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. So they persecuted him before because of on the Sabbath. Now they want to kill him because he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They didn't miss it. I don't want you to miss it. Jesus is truly God. And he is truly man. The Pharisees had their minds all jacked up. Why? Why are they so desirous to destroy this meek and lowly Jesus? Why are they so murderous to do away with God? The answer is here. They wanted rules. They didn't want grace. 
They wanted human merit. They did not want the simplicity of divine pardon. They wanted to do something for themselves on their own terms. But He is Lord. Amen. He is Lord. And every knee will bow. He doesn't cave to the architect of man. He doesn't cave to our whims. Jesus is Lord over sickness. He's Lord over faithlessness. And He is Lord of the Sabbath. As Julia comes this morning and we think about how to respond to this text, about the great physician and persecution that comes. That's, that's great historical narrative. We've got a thing here, a couple little lessons for us in the text. What, what would I say to you today as we think about this passage for those of us who are in Christ this morning? I, I want to tell you something. Jesus can heal and he can give rest. He is Lord. He is the great physician and he is Lord of the Sabbath. Dear brother or sister, stop trying to fix your life, your relationships, your brokenness with some broken down, uninspired method that the world or somebody else gave you to fix it. Come to the great physician. I don't care if the waters are bubbling at a boiling pitch. That's not the Lord. Come to God through the beauty of the simplicity of His Word and put all your faith, trust, and hope on Him. He does not alter His ways to adapt to ours, nor will He water down His power to suit our man-made constructs. He moves by His Spirit in a way today, and He does it in concert with the Gospel. It never conflicts with His Word, and He does it through His people. Persecution and opposition were no real threats for the King of Glory. And I want to tell you something. As the world gets increasingly dark, take courage, brother or sister. Persecution and opposition are no real threats for the child of God. We can stand firm on His Word, saying, Thus says the Lord. We can pray with confidence because He is Lord. He is Lord. All authority, He said, in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. He said that of himself in Matthew 28. In, in Revelation, a good picture around the throne of Revelation, they're crying, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Don't miss God working in your midst because of your desire for control. Don't miss him. Don't miss him. The great physician has promised free and full healing for our souls because of the finished work of the cross. I'm convinced that God wants us to trust that he will work on his terms and never forget that everything, all the threats, will bow to his authority. Let's pray.
brother or sister this morning, are you dealing with that unforgiveness or bitterness? Come to the great physician. Let him heal you. Cast that on him today. Break your routine this week and spend some time with God in his word and in prayer. Ask him to shine the light in those dark places in your heart that will cause you to open up and let him heal you. Father, we trust you. We love you. We confess our need for you. And we ask that you forgive us when we uh, think that some authority on this earth would cause you to sweat (laughs) or cause you to tremble in some way. Lord, you are Lord. You are awesome. And we worship you in spirit and truth today. We love you so much. We're grateful for who you are. In Christ's name, amen.